welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. In this episode, we'll break down former President Donald Trump's town hall last week on CNN and a recent poll on trust in the media with our special guest, Pat Kessler. We'll also break down the scheduled end of the legislative session. We'll have another edition of The Food Fight with Broadcorp and Becky, where we debate our different takes on food. In this episode, we will debate our top five sodas, and we'll end this episode with our Tweets of the Week. We're excited for you to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. We are incredibly happy to be joined this episode by one of the most knowledgeable political reporters in Minnesota, Pat Kessler. Uh, Pat started with Minnesota Public Radio, but most of us know him from his 36 years with WCCO. Um, if there was a major political story or a minor political story in Minnesota in the last 40 years, Pat Kessler was either breaking the news to Minnesotans or explaining to them why they should care about it or be interested in it. Um, he is a Minnesota institution. And as for a podcast that focuses on breaking down public policy, politics, and general what's going on in Minnesota from the political perspective, I cannot think of someone who would be more knowledgeable to have on our this episode and, and be a guest of the show. And we hope that this experience is enjoyable for him, where this could be the start of something where he'll come back and talk with us. But we wanted to talk with Pat Kessler today. And, and Pat, can you hear us okay? We're glad to have I you on can. the show. I'm so grateful that you invited me. Thank you so much. Uh, I love the podcast. A longtime listener, first-time guest. <laughs> uh, you are... And and not to make you bashful, but you are a Minnesota institution, and and it is such a privilege to have you on today. Um, okay. As I was kind of, I was as I was typing that up, I was you know being since it's it's accurate. I don't want to, I don't want you have to do a reality check of your own appearance on the show. But you have been involved in Minnesota politics um, for you know you were with WCCO for thirty six years. Prior to that, with Minnesota Public Radio, I think the eighty four presidential race was your one of your first big races you covered in Minnesota. So you've been a part of certainly our listeners' years, but certainly my formative years in Minnesota politics. Um, seeing you reporting on TV, but then interacting with you at the, at the state capitol and other things, it's just a real treat. To have you on today, and just on a personal level. Well, thank you so much, Michael, and you've always been so important to me, and and I love seeing uh, people like you, Becky. Uh, we need the younger folks to come in, and Michael, you're much younger than I am, but uh, seeing the new generation is something that is so important. And thank you for that overly kind introduction, because it's been a great run. I had a great run. But you're still, you still have your toe a little bit involved. You're still doing some analysis. You're still doing stories. So we haven't lost you completely. Uh, th that is correct. Uh, I, I like to call myself the old guy emeritus. They uh, they call me in at WCCO Television uh, if there's an uh, if there's an election, uh, if there is an infection or an insurrection. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I tend to. So I'm, I keep going. You know, I keep going. So it's been. It's been a great uh, a great time going back, and then I do uh, radio uh, still, so I'm still very busy and enjoy this uh, immensely. Becky, you've you've interacted with with Pat over the years, correct? 
Absolutely. Yes. When I worked for Congressman Emmer, Congressman Lewis, you know, a number of different different folks definitely have inter- have had interactions and and certainly, you know, one of the good ones. There's a lot of good ones out there, but um, you know, Pat, you've been one that I think always does a good job of telling the story, sticking to facts and making sure that um listeners or viewers understand the full picture of of the interview or story that is being And shared. I appreciate that so much coming from you, Becky, because uh, as Michael and I have talked about in the past, being accessible to reporters, as you both have been, is so, so, so important. And you take your job seriously. And if I may say this, uh, you don't take yourself as seriously as you take your job. So uh, I love that about you. You you always uh, treated us with good humor and professionalism. And, and that's how we have to work in this system, particularly with uh, public officials and with uh, uh, journalists. That's just the way it has to be. When Becky and I um, started talking about doing a podcast, we sat with a, a number of people and sat down and came up with a list of people that we wanted to have on the podcast. And Pat Kessler, you were on, Pat was on the list immediately. He was one of the first names mentioned. And that's because of your, your institutional knowledge, your experience. Um, and there's a variety of subjects that we could have you to come on and we want to have you come on. Um, one subject I just want to just briefly mention is um, always enjoyed your reality checks. Um, as a someone who worked in communications and opposition research, getting a passing grade or some type of quality mark on a reality check was critically important. And I will also say to the political nerds out there and to the people who have sometimes are political nerds who have sometimes get frustrated with the media. There is, I will tell you as someone who's designed campaign ads, worked with campaigns, this is where the media plays such an important role because making sure that you run an ad that can pass a Pat Kessler fact check or a reality check absolutely factors into the constructions of ads. And so when you have media that's doing reality checks, that's fact checking the politicians, that makes campaigns more accountable to the public and to media. It's a very important public service. And I just want to just say again, um, one of the many hats you wore that I respected was certainly the reality check. And I'm troubled to bring this up because one of the issues, I think, is that I wonder if it mattered uh, because first started with fact-checking, it was new and innovative back in the day. Uh, But now you could have fact-checking 24 hours a day, we, there's a torrent of misinformation, disinformation, camouflage, misdirection, all of that. And, uh, and, and it's more than it's ever been before. It's not less. And so uh, figuring out new ways to do it, I think, is really important for young people uh, in this profession. If I may ask, um, the first campaign I worked on was Boschwitz, uh Wellstone 96. Mm-hmm. My understanding is was that your first year you did the reality check? Because I remember there being some reality check discussion. Yes, that, uh, that, that was the first time we uh, we ever did that. And it was hugely controversial. Uh, we, uh, we took great care to make sure we found uh, misinformation or spin. And it was spin back then. It wasn't deliberate uh, lies as we see today. Uh, and and it was very controversial because that took us out of the role of uh, of what was thought of as a traditional reporter. This person said this. On the other hand, this person says that. They were equal, and we, for the first time, were making a judgment on what was more equal than others or what was true, what was false, what was misleading. 
So hugely controversial in the day, but people came to accept it and and uh, and it became very common uh, over the years. You know, uh, Michael and I did a little of our homework um, in preparation for this and listened to an interview you did with Ben Lieber. And one of the things that I think was interesting um, that you discussed there was misinformation versus disinformation. And can you kind of walk through what, what those words mean to you and, and maybe how that's evolved over the last, uh, you know, couple of years, maybe even Yeah, decade? it's a great question because uh, misinformation is, to me, is leaving out some information. It might be a little bit of spin, which I completely accept as part of the role of a of a public official or a candidate who is running for election. Here's my view. Here's my spin on this. I accept that. It's a li- it's misinformation. Disinformation is the deliberate, uh, the deliberate uh, uh, dissemination, the deliberate speaking of different things in a campaign that are either not true. You know them to be not true. Uh, they are. They have a very very basic. Um, truths or, or not truth to them, and you use it anyway. So it's when a politician says something that is not true, knowing it's not true, I would call that disinformation. And um, again, camouflaging, misinformation, spin. I, I'm not going to ever say it's okay, because I much prefer everybody's transparent. But I understand the, the the role that different people play in order to get elected. Uh, this is you're appealing to your voters. So that is uh, one of the uh, that, that's that's one of the differences that I see. I, I believe I probably know the answer to this, but do you believe that we see more of that disinformation now than we did ten years ago? Much much more. And and uh, disinformation is kind of a polite word. Uh, I, <laughs> I've always it, tried to avoid the word lie. And I'm thinking, and I have, I have to, I'm, I'm pretty sure, because we had many discussions about this in the newsroom, I never used the word lie in a story. I, we, we would never say this person is lying, this person is a liar, this is a lie. Uh, we would say this is not true, or this is true. So I, and and now I, I do feel that there is deliberate lying that goes on, and people know it's a lie, and they say it anyway. And and that's one of the biggest differences that I see. And it's a it's a tremendous challenge for reporters and particularly young reporters who have to corral this into one place because I dealt with television ads, political speeches, and TV, basically. Nowadays, we have to deal with uh, all manner of different platforms on social media, radio, podcasting, uh, uh, television commercials, Facebook, TikTok, all of it you have to deal with. And, And it's really, really difficult to get it into one place. I will share a uh, a a Pat Kessler story that I have that that I that reminds me of and it it goes to uh, I think his uh, so an example of I think his fidelity to the truth and his desire to pursue it. Remember when I was deputy chair of the party, uh, I was asked by Pat Kessler at a press conference at M and GP headquarters 
if I believe that Barack Obama was born and was was qualified to be president because there was a birther movement that was moving around at that time, and it had it had percolated with a lot of the activists. I remember discussing it with the research director at the time, Mark Drake, that we we knew we knew you were there. We knew the question was possibly going to come up, and we went over it. And it was a it, we knew that we had to deal with it head on. And I did not subscribe to the school of thought. Uh, the conspiracy theory at the time was that Barack Obama was not a legal resident of the United States, and that his that there was some birther movement. I did I never subscribed to that. But I remember you asking me at a press conference about it, and it was a, a, a well questioned, well formed, well structured. Good question, and uh, I had a responsibility to answer it. I took some heat for my answer, but it was a good question that you asked. And it, it what it what it reminds me of is you and Becky were talking, uh, and it was a great question by Becky. Uh, it reminded me about just your kind of shoe leather kind of beat reporting was always kind of about the facts, and I think it's remarkable. I think it's honorable. I think it's what journalism should do. And I just wanted to share that little that little tidbit that I had uh, I've, I've been on the receiving end of more than one of of your kind of inquiries about facts, but that was one that um, was it didn't seem very significant at the time. But I think it was the start of I think the introduction of the kind of the conspiracy about whether Barack Obama was a legal was a natural you know his birth where yeah, he was the born birth, the long movement form, all that movement something I think different yeah. I, I think it really was kind of the the start of the kind of misinformation movement, and you were on it back then. And um, I just wanted to share that with our listeners. Well, that that is a, a time I remember that things were really beginning to percolate all around the country, including yeah. here in Minnesota. And uh, and what year was that? Uh, would that be nine, uh, 2000? 2009 yeah, yeah. or 10? So fairly late. Um, 2009 yes, or 10. That would be fairly Probably too, and uh, and and many of the conspiracy theories which were beginning to blossom. And remember, was uh, did the iPhone come into being in uh, 2010? It's right around that time. And then yeah. we started to have uh, different social media sites, uh, like Twitter and Facebook, uh, primarily at the time. So a lot of things were were spreading. And now it's to the point where it's it's uh, much much different. Where uh, truth. Uh, false things that are false lies become the truth and the truth becomes a lie and uh, there's hardly any way to stop it what's interesting it's a good segue to the topic that we wanted to have you on about was as we as we all remember and all know is that then private citizen donald trump was one of the initial pushers of the birther movement and that agenda and um the subject that we wanted to have you on to talk about was the recent cnn town hall meeting and um, your perspective on it. It occurred last week. There's been a lot of debate in the media about, uh, um, and amongst the general public, about the appropriateness of CNN doing that town hall meeting. Uh, Becky and I uh, have perspectives. Um, I don't. I think it's fair to say, and I'll let Becky describe herself, but uh, I certainly am not a supporter of President Trump. Um, I didn't vote for him in 16 or 20. Um, and we've, we have a mixed relationship with them on this, on this podcast, but I wanted to get your perspective on the decision by CNN to have them on and in particular fact-checking in real time, because you have such a strong role uh, in kind of even before snoops, uh, and other websites that are out there fact-checking leading a role in that type of stuff, your perspective on that event. And yeah, and it's, it's such a great question, you guys, because it's two, two separate questions. Number one. Should CNN have done it? 
And number two, the execution of it. Uh, how well did they do it? And I'm in the camp, and I, I don't know exactly where either one of you fits, and I'd love to hear this. Um, I believe, of course, you got to do it. Of course, you've got to have the former president of the United States, who is the leading candidate uh, for president in the Republican Party, uh, and not even close, by far, and more likely than any other candidate right now, uh, to be the next president of the United States. Yes, you have to have him. And how do you do it is the is the more important question to me. Yeah, you got to have him on. And I know people are boycotting CNN uh, and and highly critical of, of that decision. But it's not even close to me. You've got to have him on. And we I'd love to know what you think. And we can move on to the next part. But that's a, it, it's it's a no brainer to me. I, I agree. I think that it's one of those things that um, folks don't like to hear, like to give him more time. I know the there was some reports um, back before even the 2016 election about the amount of earned media that Trump got versus Hillary Clinton um, and other candidates, even pre-primary, um, and, and just how much, you know, maybe, you know, different outlets gave him a hand up by by giving him this this attention. However, in this situation, he is the running, you know, the the front runner for the Republican nomination. He is a former president. Um and and we do owe it to devoters of uh, across the the spectrum the right to hear from him um whether you like it or not, whether it's setting up Democrats ways to attack him, whether it's setting up DeSantis in other ways to to go against him or just to hear really what we're getting and, and remind folks of that. So I, I think absolutely they they needed to do it. I'm glad to do it. For the record, again, we'll make it clear. I am I'm, I. My name is Becky Sher, and I am not a Trump supporter. Um, I do hope we have somebody else. Uh, but but it, it needed to be done. Absolutely. I um I agree with Becky. Um, I'm my name is Michael Barker, but I'm not a Trump supporter. I didn't vote for him in sixteen and twenty, but. That being said, if people are frustrated about the fact that CNN had an obligation to do that, I think it's more reflection on the party and politics that the truth of the matter is, is that he's the front runner for the nomination. And based on recent polling, you could make the case that he is the front runner to potentially win, that he's in the driver's seat right now in the race. And it's on, am I, fr I was frustrated in watching it. Um, but the reality is, is that we can't, I don't think it's the role of the media to turn a blind eye to who the front runner is. This isn't some random third party. It's the Republican party and it's, they're a major party uh, at every level of, of government. And so the front runner, I think deserves um, that type of attention. Does it frustrate me? Yes. I wish it was someone else, but it does. Um, he, he does, it did warrant the attention. Now, so then I guess the question becomes, uh, was the execution a problem? Because I thought that this town hall was a blank show. I, I, I do. I, I, I thought it was disgraceful. Uh, the forum, as it unfolded in front of our eyes like a slow motion car crash, uh, was shameless. Uh, I thought it was nasty. Uh, he was unapologetic, uh, e extremely mendacious. And CNN did little or nothing, futile attempts, to try to curb what was clearly uh, falsehoods, things he was saying that were not true, that could clearly be described as lies. Uh, and, and they didn't do anything to push back enough. And that's only one of, the, one of the things that I had a problem with. I had a bigger problem with another part that we can talk about in a moment. 
So my question for you, because I, while I agree, um, you know, on your side of things, if if you were in the role as moderator or behind the scenes, what what things would you have liked to see to do more of that uh, that fact checking, the calling her out, you know, because I believe Caitlin Collins did at times attempt. I believe this is not um, something that we were shocked that Trump was going to try to railroad the situation. But what what would you like to see there? Yeah, I I thought Caitlin Collins did a, a great job. Um, you know, the, what can you do when you have a torrent, a flood, a tsunami of of that kind of falsity coming right at you? Things that are are just separated, untethered from reality. What do you do? Uh, so I thought she did a really good job. And I should also say that uh, the breaking news on the day we're recording this podcast is that she's been promoted. She's going to mm-hmm. get the primetime CNN uh, news slot that was once held by Chris Cuomo. So uh, I don't think this hurt her. And I've always respected her as a reporter. But I've been in these situations and I, I, I've interviewed Trump. I've been to many Trump rallies, all of this kind of stuff. And it's really, really difficult. Uh, but I've also been in situations on a local level in our local uh, uh, CBS affiliate WCCO uh, where we planned way ahead of time for these kinds of uh, anything that could go wrong in public events like uh, a U.S. Senate debate or a governor's debate. We go over the questions. We go over what could possibly go wrong, who's in the audience, uh, whether or not the, the lighting is right. How are the cameras going to behave? We did shot blocking, as we call it. You block the shots uh, for every candidate, which has been criticized in this town hall. But most of all, uh, you've got to have some sort of fact-checking capability. If it's something as simple as a graphic that you put up on the screen when the president uh, says something that is completely false, uh, very simple, one example would be where Caitlin Collins says, well, Mr. President, you said that you would uh, suspend uh, the Constitution if, if it meant uh, getting a fair, fixing the rigged elections. I never said I'd suspend, terminate the Constitution. I never said that. Well, you can put up a soundbite or a graphic of his tweet where he says exactly that. Something as simple as that. And you can do it in a polite way. Uh, hold on, Mr. President. Uh, the, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at what you said on this day, just to kind of stop that steamroller, because he was in command of the room. Uh, he was a, he was an alpha. He was completely in control of the whole of the whole hour. That's just one small example. But I mean, he we did learn some stuff too. But that's just one small example that I would fact check him on. Do you think um, it's difficult to do that with a former president? Uh, do you think that there is a difficulty? Um, Very much. Again, to repeat. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Caitlin Collins is great. I think she's worthy of the promotion. It's going to be great to watch her in that time slot. I think she did as best as yeah. she could. I think she did as good as anyone else was going to do. I just, I, there's a part of me that thinks that the institution of CNN could have done more to put her in a well, better Well, that's just one of the things that I talk about, like having, uh, blocking out the shots in a different way, uh, having a fact check capability. You've got one of the biggest news organizations in the world and to not be prepared with pieces of paper or graphics or all of that that you put up. But I I, uh, I concur that it's difficult to, uh, to interview a president, any president, 
uh, because you have to walk the line of respect for the institution and the office and then hold somebody accountable. But you've never had a president like this who has no respect for the norms, for the traditions. Uh, frankly, there is no bottom to the things uh, that he might say. But the one big problem, I think, with this uh, CNN town hall was the audience itself, uh, where, remember that all of the things, I, I, made, I made a short list, it's, it's actually a long list, but I'll only read a couple of them. The things that uh, the former president said, he's going to pardon the January 6th uh, the rioters. He would solve the war in 24 hours. He mocked the sexual assault victim uh, that he was convicted of uh, the sexual abuse the day before. Um, and he said he would suspend the Constitution, all of this. But let's focus on the woman, the, the, the assault from the day before where a jury in New York City uh, found him liable for sexual assault against the uh, newspaper columnist from uh, 20 years ago. He mocked her, and the audience just laughed and cheered. Oh, rape. Oh, that's so funny. Sexual assault. Tee-hee-hee. Mm -hmm. At some point, uh, I, I wonder, and I've seen other town halls where you do this, where you interact more with the audience, you stop it. You stop it down. You go into the audience to the people who are laughing and say, why are you laughing? What is funny about this? That would have been shocking. It might have been um, it. It might have been a way to bring all of this back to some sort of reality, to ground it in some way. But it, I, I think it was a runaway train. Yeah, I think you know, Michael and I. I think that goes right into a lot of our frustration that we talk about um, with the Republican Party as a whole. You know, I think Michael and I both identify on some level of the spectrum with the as being republicans i i'll i'll let michael say if he's bowing out of that at any point <laughs> um but you know and that is our frustration because this is you know now we this platform that we all agree should have been given to the president is also being given to these republicans you know representing the republican party and it's unfortunate. It's sad. It's embarrassing. Um, and and that's something that, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to hopefully, you know, with this podcast, try to show that there are, you know, I, I don't know if I want to call us sane, but quote unquote sane Republicans Absolutely out there. there are. Because it is upsetting. Absolutely there are. And and so the, the selection of an audience in, in this particular case was important. And I haven't actually seen a really good explanation of why uh, I, I get it that you want to get people who might have voted for Trump in 2016 or, or uh, 2020, but there was nobody else. There were no independents that I could see or they that they featured uh, anybody who was really skeptical of the president. It did seem like full on red flag, red hat, MAGA, uh, red pill MAGA uh, people in there. But you say same Republicans. Of course there are. I mean, and, and but they are not getting uh, many republicans are not getting and uh, the uh, the the platform in order to talk about what what are quote unquote normal republicans and i have to say this uh, the republican leaders are not helping in this in this regard um as the presidential campaign heats up no and i think that the show i think that the the town hall um the way it was structured in a way i think will 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 at the end of the day it will boost Donald Trump's standing sure, in the race. Absolutely. I think it, it brought 
it brought a carnival-like atmosphere to the, the the race for president, which a lot of people sometimes like. They like the entertainment value. Um, it was there was a number of lines I think that were crossed by some of the supporters in the audience. I understand the arguments from CNN that leadership that they've said that this is a, a section of America that had had that can't be ignored, um, and so they need to draw some attention to those issues. But I think there could have been some things done um, to help uh, present. Uh, a more professional environment for that town hall to happen. But unfortunately, Republicans, I have to accept some responsibility for that. This wasn't like it was an undercover uh, Mike Wallace ambush on the street. This was a town hall meeting. They knew the cameras were on, and this is how they acted. And I think it it brought out uh, the reality sometimes of the unfortunate nature of politics these days. Uh, and the and the kind of the ugliness that can happen. Well, by degree, uh, I I agree that I I think that uh, former President Trump did something that might even be called valuable because normally he's he's a, a little vague on where he stands. He's suggestive. Uh, he won't actually say something, but he said things here that if he's reelected. Uh, that we could probably count on. I mean, you've got a, a pretty clear idea that he says that the United States should go into default uh, in this big default debate. I think that was pretty clear that he said he will pardon the January 6th rioters. That was very, very clear. Um, he did not say whether he whether Russia or Ukraine should win. I think, of course, that raises the issue of of a future military aid to Ukraine. So that was helpful to see. But I think most of America already knew this. And and that was uh, Trump 2.0 or 3.0 now. One of the discussions that that's come out of it is whether it is the responsibility of the media to make news. And um, that's one of the discussions that came out is that it's that and and some folks have said it's you know it's our job to make news, and others have said no, it's your job to report the news. I think that, and I'd like huh. to get your perspective on this. At least, at least the way I yeah. see it, CNN engage, CNN engages in both in a sense, and these cable network news networks do. They're straight reporting that they do, but they also have opinions. They also have shows that where they invite guests on and draw out draw out comments and stuff. Do you think that it was? Do you think your take on the? The role of the media is to report news, not I, make. I'm, news. Uh, you know, that's the first time I think I've ever been asked that question, and I've, I've, I've thought about it in some ways, but there is a difference between uh, making news and breaking news, and they're two different things, and they both are valuable in their own way. After this town hall, I see that uh, CNN executives were saying, "Well, she made news. Caitlin Collins made news, and we made news on this." And it's more than just drawing out information. It was almost as if they, they, they wanted to make news. I get it. I totally get that. That is part of the job. But breaking news is something a little bit different. It's when you find out something that no one else has and you want to be first with it. So those are, are, are two different things. I think they're both valuable. But the, the I was always really reluctant um, to... How do I say this? I was really reluctant to push something that that I knew w would make news, but I was making it bigger than it should be. You know, you have to figure out where something fits uh, in a news story. But I think both of those are probably valuable, Michael and, and Becky. You probably were on the on involved in a lot of things like that in in your 
career still are. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a fine line to to know wh- how things go and and what actually is reporting the news, what's getting clicks, what's trying to, you know, at, at times, you know, I, I've worked for some not quiet, you sure. know, meek individuals yeah. who uh, at times I think that there were, were certainly different folks. Well, can who I ask this were- question? I don't mean to interrupt, but it's so interesting because what do, when reporters come in to you, when you've got some of your really great candidates or or elected officials, do you always wonder if they're in there to make news out of your guy? I would say, uh, you know, a, a good like 75, 80 percent of the time, you know, having the relationships like I knew putting it, you know, somebody in, in front of you. I wasn't worried about, you know, some salacious, you know, question. I you if there was something of topic that you needed to ask about, that was fair. You know, if there was something we were expecting to come up, but I didn't have to worry about you trying to to, you know, get something on the front page of the Washington Post or the New Yorker or something. And I think there's some reporters where you're always kind of like, well, you know, this they're they're they they could definitely ask that. So I think it's less about um every interview and more about who who the interviews are with if if that's going to be the case. I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but it was so interesting uh, remembering what you do. Yeah, you know, and I think that's, again, it's really just there, there are a lot of really, really good reporters out there. There's a lot of really good journalists that we worked, I've I've worked with, and I've met along the way. And then there's some that you definitely do see some of those folks who are are trying to who have more opinions that they're trying to insert the story or sometimes you have you hear the questions they're be asked they're asking and you know their stories already already written and they're just trying to get that quote that fits into their pre-written story um and so that's where they're going and so yeah it just it depends on the person yep. certainly is really interesting do you think as we segue into our next subject do you think that CNN standing and how people feel about CNN and the media was enhanced by the town hall meeting, or do you think it was a didn't make a difference? Is it okay if I say I don't know? I of course really don't know. Um, I I think if the goal was to, of CNN was to enhance its standing, uh, I, I I don't know that that was accomplished. Uh, if it is just to truly to say. We have this opportunity to present you the leading candidate for president of the United States. This is news, you know, um, probably, but it, that's a, that's a really hard question to answer. And, and the, the, the subject that we want to transition into is there is a, a recent poll that came out by the Economist and YouGov uh, published the results asking Americans where they get their news from and how much they, they trusted 22 prominent media organizations. We'll, we'll link to the link to the poll when we when we release this episode. But at the top of the list was the Weather Channel, PBS, BBC, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and then the Associated Press. CNN was in roughly the same place as the National Review, the New York Post, uh, and other kind of uh, somewhat of of opinion commentaries. What does the fact that the most trusted news sources are the Weather Channel and PBS, what does that offer to you uh, about where Americans have their faith and trust in media right now? Well, first of all, who doesn't love the Weather Channel? I mean, seriously. Uh, yes. You know, in, in a part of the country, uh, we are in the Midwest and in the upper Midwest, the great North. 
Um, we, we weather is news every single day of the year. I mean, we love who doesn't love Jim Cantore? Who doesn't love these everything that they do? Uh, I do have questions about this poll. I think overall, thirty thousand feet. I think it does reflect that there is a general mistrust and distrust of the media, um, and I think a lot of this has been stoked by uh, prominent politicians in both parties, Democrat and Republican. So I, I think it does reflect that. I, I, I was a little skeptical, to be honest, uh, because PBS and BBC, of course, uh, people tend to love that. But who watches PBS and BBC? Uh, I mean, and I don't mean because they're not good, because they're excellent. But who watches all these? Uh, and you got 1,500 respondents. I, I tried to look at uh, the tabs on the poll. And uh, do, did all 1,500 watch all of these from Weather Channel to Breitbart? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. So so I wonder if this is more name recognition. Um, and, and I saw that the Democrats trust MSNBC. No big surprise uh, there. <laughs> Republicans trust Fox. No big surprise there. But when you look at the poll, it looked like Democrats uh, trust Infowars more than Republicans trust CNN. Now, does that right. make sense to you guys? Not no, it doesn't. Um, I will. I will say. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I said not to me in general, but it does overall. I I think it reflects in 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 a fairly valid way that people don't trust the quote unquote mainstream media. Uh, two things. I will say, number one, I think PBS's high ranking was because Becky Allery made her, Becky Shear made her debut <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, on on Almanac on Friday night. So I think that had a big impact in that. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so I was I was glued and and my household was glued to uh -huh. to Almanac to watch uh, Becky's uh, debut appearance uh, on Almanac, which she did a great great job. Um, a couple things I will also say, and I'd be curious to get Becky and and Patty both your takes on this. I generally rotate through, so I have uh, I watch CNN, Fox, and MSNBC all throughout the day uh, as a way to kind of get the news on a regular basis. Um, is to get kind of a balance because I do think there's a a little bit of a partisan perspective on all of them, but I'd like to get your take. If, if you guys are sitting down and watching news at night, um, what are you watching? If you want, if you feel comfortable disclosing and do you, do you feel the need to kind of cycle through some different media stations? Go ahead, um, I'll, I'll start. I, I, I guess, you know, I, I'll show my age here and um, I largely get my news from Twitter um, and, and following the, the, perfectly cultivated feed that I have, uh, you know, poured it my last 15 years into. Um, and I would say that largely does link, you know, it's a lot of, I, I mean, very much across the board. I get Washington Post, I get CNN, I get MSNBC, I get some Fox, some Breitbart, you know, I try to, I do try to keep my, you know, eyes on, on what I believe, you know, especially in, in my previous roles, what I believe activists or or Republicans would be watching. Um, so, you know, I have spent a lot of time, you know, reading and watching Fox in my day. Um, but yeah, I, I don't typically sit down and watch a, a, a whole, you know, hour long show of anyone unless there's some guest on that I'm looking forward to and and catch most of my my stuff on Twitter. And, and that's fascinating to hear because, Becky, uh, the, I, I my kids are very similar to you, and you're probably roughly around the, the same ages, where it's mostly uh, 
It's uh, Twitter, uh, not Facebook. They're not on Facebook, but a lot of the social media sites. YouTube is very big uh, for news. Many of uh, most of the young people now get it from social media. 50%, I understand, of uh, young people 18 to 34 uh, get their news from social media. 50%, five zero. Now, I still uh, am uh, old school in many ways where I, I subscribe to the to the newspapers, the paper newspapers of locally, the Pioneer Press, the, uh, the, the Star Tribune, but also uh, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. So we have, we have that. But then I go online to look at the rest. I come from a news family. My wife is a news executive also, uh, and from the news business, I should say. And, and so at night, you know, I think we're sick of it. But uh, we we spend a lot of time on uh, all three, just like um, um, Michael does. My wife doesn't like to sit down and watch news when she gets home from her news station. You know <laughs> what I mean? Can't miss life. And so we do watch a lot of sports. Um, we watch a lot of sports, and when that gets too much, uh, we will watch the Food Channel and uh, and the home. Uh, what do you call it? The HGTV, where you fix up the homes, blow them up. Yeah. So um, that's our news diet and also podcasting. Uh, seriously, we listen to a lot of podcasts. And yes, and I will also say part of the reason uh, I have younger kids, my kids are teenagers. And so they don't, we, we keep them off social media because um, we think it's, my wife and I are not big fans of kids being on social media, but we try to, we've tried to instill a little bit of, of balance and awareness into the local media and um, uh, cable shows and national shows to, to kind of raise their kind of Absolutely. civic IQ. Yeah. And, and hey, Michael, you know, I, I'm really curious what you think, because should there be uh, age limits on social media? And and Becky, I mean, you got you're gonna have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I I will say to you as as uh, I I've said to my kids that uh, ki- it's it's like old pictures of kids in like the 20s and 30s when they're smoking <laughs> cigarettes. They didn't realize the health effect. I've said to my kids very frequently that at some point, probably when they're adults, they're going to realize this the, the the dangers of social media for younger kids. I, I as someone who it keeps it steers my kids away from social media. They don't have full access to any uh-huh. social media. I absolutely think it should be raised because it's very detrimental, particularly. And I and I've disclosed this for having daughters. Uh, I think there are a lot of issues that can per- percolate on social media with with young kids and raising and keep raising strong strong kids, uh, particularly, but also strong females. Social media is sometimes not the best place for for young girls, and and I worry about that environment Becky, a lot. What, what are you going to do? Oh, goodness. That is a million dollar question. You know, I was lucky enough that Facebook just came to be uh, when I was in college and and then, you know, started out just for college kids and and that sort. So it was thankfully not around when I was was super young. But I will say I, you know, working on some of the campaigns, even um, after I would get done with the election cycle, I would have to turn off Twitter, the toxicity of even just, uh, you know, some of the stuff when I worked for Jason Lewis and some of the rhetoric and, and stuff from the from the radical liberals against him that I that would come to me and being called a gender traitor, you know, to to women's species because of working for, you know, Jason Lewis. Getting stuff like that um, was really tough on my mental health, I will say. And so, um, you know, taking I've taken breaks at times. So I absolutely, I mean, my I have a 10-month-old, so we're we're quite a bit away from this. But um, I absolutely think there's going to be limits in this household to to access and, and where it can be because it is, um, there's, there's lots of potential for trouble there, absolutely. Sorry. 
and I know uh, I hear stories about this and we female reporters that I've worked with over the years face all of the same things. And where are we in journalism and in public affairs and all of this where women get a lot more of threats and intimidation and those kinds of messages? And and I, I'm just so sorry to hear this. And somehow, some way, we've got to get our arms around this. Absolutely. I think it's uh, still going to be a while. I don't think there's uh, any solution in the near future. But, um, you know, we've, we've got a new CEO coming in on Twitter. So we'll we'll have to watch how that plays out. Pat, I'm going to just as we as we close out here today, I got to just share one story. 1996 campaign. I'll go back to one more time. There was one computer in the Boschwitz office that had access to the <laughs> Internet and no one was allowed to touch it. <laughs> Um, and so, and I was doing some comms work back then. It was just a, and so it's amazing how much times, times have changed with the internet these days. How'd you, how'd you distribute your press releases there? Like carrier pigeon? Um, I, we had a, we had a fax transmission service that we used that did a lot of, uh, I remember having to go in and manually program the, aside from, you know, email was a website. The website was basically Boschwitz's literature, just like scanned in. Um, that was the website back then. And um, a lot of the press releases were distributed email going to the press corps. But also, uh, one of my big jobs was programming a fax machine, a fax distribution list. Well, on fax I, well one of my favorite time uh, things that I've seen today on this podcast is seeing a smile on Becky's face. Like, oh, that is so <laughs> cute. What did, yeah. Oh, um, you know, we had one in 1996. We had one computer in uh, WCCO television, a major metropolitan market TV station. And one person was allowed to use it and had to make a request in order to do <laughs> research on Google, something called Google back then. And it cost $5 every time we did it. And so you had to run it by everybody. So uh, same deal. You know, that's the way it was. And then we walked uh, to school in a snowstorm without boots backwards up a hill. And that's what we did. Yeah. You know, uh, one last story. My kids asked me once what I watched on Netflix when I was a kid. <laughs> no. Asked me what I watched on Netflix yeah, well, when I was a kid. Asked me Pat, you television when I was a kid. <laughs> Pat, you have been incredibly oh, gracious with your time today. This has been such a great episode. Uh, again, you are an institution to Minnesota politics, to our state. Uh, we would absolutely, we hope this experience was enjoyable to the point where you'd consider coming back. I'd love to talk with you more about you know, your work on fact-checking, your, your perspective on the media and other topics that you're so knowledgeable. Well, about. it's it's really been an honor and I appreciate this opportunity so much and you guys are fantastic. So please keep doing this. Keep up the good work. It's really fun to listen. I could have talked with Pat Kessler for three hours. I know. I mean, I like I said, I looked up. I can't believe that we were on for as long as we were. It was easy. He is just so knowledgeable, so easy to talk with. And you, I mean, you completely understand how he had the career he has had um, to date. I mean, it is just impressive. And I met every word I said that he's a Minnesota institution. I mean, if you want to have, first of all, let's talk about it just from our universe for a second. We have a podcast where we're breaking down politics and policy. He is an absolute subject matter expert on politics policy in Minnesota for the last 40 years. Um, so he's great to have on. But his, his, his depth of the issue is on right now. He's, he's still in the game. 
even though he stepped away a little bit from WCCO, he's back there doing some analysis and other commentary. Uh, he's just a tremendous resource, and it's so insightful to have that type of knowledgeable guest on. And it's something that we have talked a lot about, about having smart people on the show. Every one of our guests has been smart. The dumbest person on this show is me. Um, we've had all these great smart guests, and he was just another one who just hit it out of the park. And again, not to repeat myself, which I'm doing a lot these days, I could have spoken to him for three hours. Absolutely. Although I, I just have to insert one thing not Kessler related. I feel like that was a really good um, opportunity to give a zing to to Jeff Kolb about um, our, our our smart guest here. <laughs> nice. Come on, you missed an opportunity. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. The Honorable Kolb. Um, a, a few things that really stood out to me here is, one, I, I appreciated um, Pat understanding a few times he talked about, you know, his work with either candidates or electeds or, or communication staff and him understanding the spin that comes from our job, right? Like that is something that you and I spent a lot of time doing. Um, it's not lying. It's not mistruths or half-truths. It's sim simply the way you message and tell your side of the story or, or your truth on a matter. And um, I appreciate that he understands that and acknowledges that. I don't know that all reporters share that understanding of of the spin. I think a lot of them think we're being deceived, you know, actually trying to deceive them in that fact. And and so that was something I I just personally uh, appreciated him him discussing. I will also note for our listeners that although you and I discuss the general topics that we're going to go into, we don't go through each other's questions. I thought your question to him about inf misinformation versus dis disinformation was an absolutely fantastic question. And I think it really brought it, brought his, Pat has relevancy all throughout his career, but particularly him doing fact checks, reality checks, and his analysis and in, in response to your just great question on disinformation versus information. I thought it was a really important question. And his answer, I think, was incredibly insightful and offered a good perspective that I think we need to be focused on. Yeah, you know, it was something hearing him discuss that it was kind of the best way I've ever heard that put. And I think for the the time in, in this, you know, situation or, or reality we're faced with, with misinformation and disinformation, it, it's a good reminder to folks. And I will say, I I, I believe, um, you know, I've been on the, the side of both good fact checks and, and bad fact checks from, from Kessler. I think one campaign maybe even had to edit an ad. Um, and again, it's not something you you go into trying to deceive, deceive voters. Um, you think you have the notes to back it up. But if you get a poor fact check, that's enough. I mean, that's going to be placed all over the place. Your opponent is going to take that and use it. I mean, his fact checks were certainly used and you you stood by waiting to get that, you know, that good fact check from him. So uh, we definitely took that serious. I want to just circle back to a subject that I mentioned a little bit in, in our, our interview with Kessler, but I want to remind our listeners again that you were on Almanac on, on Friday. And one of the things that I am absolutely impressed by is the amount of prep work that goes that you do into our shows each week. Um, we both self-research. We both take, you know, do research in roles. But your research and preparation for our podcast every week is just remarkable. And I'm really, it's, it's really interesting. And I'm really a benefit from seeing you work through that process and, and being able to participate in that. You were on Almanac last Friday, a, a public affairs show in the Twin Cities. I would consider Almanac to be one of the, the preeminent uh, political uh, analysis talk shows uh, and commentaries in Minnesota. 
Um, you did a, a great appearance uh, on that episode. Uh, you got great cheers inside our household when you were on. Um, but you took you take that role very seriously. Explain to our listeners a little bit um, who haven't been on Almanac what type of prep you did to get prepared for that, and and how you portray your role as you as you've been on TV now in a very responsible role, an important role is out there providing analysis and commentary on a live television show. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I um I do take the role seriously. I think it's one thing, you know, it was also kind of a little bit of a different hat I had to put on here. You know, we have the opportunity to ask the questions, to be critical. Um, in that role, I, I do feel as, you know, we, I was on with um, a fellow Republican, Brian McClung, and two Democrats, a, a political panel with um, former leaders, um, Carla Bigham and uh, Melissa Franzen Lopez. Or Lopez Franzen, I'm sorry. Um, and so you know, I'm up up with smart smart people. I know that I have to know my my stuff. So you know, I did a couple days worth of really reading all of, about all of the things ongoings of the legislative session, making sure that I do have you know some facts, figures, some stories, anecdotes, you know, in my back pocket to to pull out should I need them. And and just really, you know, I I think I talked to you. I talked to a couple other friends in in the in the space to to make sure you know what what topics we think are going to be discussed, what's going to be on on topic. But I think it is important again, you know, as we're trying to frame up the Republican voice, I I want to make sure that I don't do a disservice to that. So that was, was that was my goal. You did a fantastic job. Um, and, uh, it was great to see, and I'm really proud of you for the role that you take and the really, the role you do in, in just offering analysis. That's, you get, have that type of opportunity to go on a television program like that. You're entrusted by the, that network, that television show with being a good, responsible voice and someone that can share the views with Minnesotans and, and, um, you helped frame that debate and discussion and you wore up, you wore a partisan hat, um, but you were part of that discussion. I just think that's a, I just want to just say you did a great job. Very proud of you. And, and I hope it's something that you continue to do because I know having done this podcast for this short amount of time with you, the amount of prep work and, and how responsibly you take it. I just thought you did a great job and, and it was, it was fun to watch you on TV. So the heck of a job there. Thank you. And one thing I actually kind of brings to tie into one of the things that Pat had said and before we move on is, um, you know, his surprise that there wasn't more live fact checking during the CNN town hall. Um, that was a surprise I, I shared uh, having, again, worked for on some campaigns, congressional or in office. Um, we've I've done debate prep. Right. So you're you sit there and you prepare for any and all topics and questions. So, you know, we're preparing the candidate, but also being having to be prepared as staff sitting in the background for when um, our opponent says something that we need to send out a, a press release um, fact check or something to back up what our candidate says. So we sit there with, you know, 20 pages worth of smart, tiny little snippets um, tying to articles, tying to videos, all of that. So that's something that we would prepare. And sometimes in a debate, you know, an hour long debate, we'd send out 20, you know, fact check press releases to again, not, to support what our candidate said against an opponent or say, you know, this opponent, you just heard him say this, but he actually voted this, 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 and this. Um, so it really is surprising to me that that some a network as big as CNN wasn't doing that live fact checking. Um, these things, you, it's pretty easy. We knew what he was going to say on January 6th. We knew he, what he was going to say about the, the recent court case against him. I mean, 
so many of those things. I think you and I could have sat here and pulled articles uh, to be able to live fact check that if we wanted to. So uh, I do think it was a failure there, and I, I just had to to mention that. I agree with you, and I found a number of levels um, from different in different capacities in different times in our life. I think we both have been on the communication front. You are doing it much more out in the open and 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 much more and much more prominent role than I am. But we both. I've had those experiences and and it's it's good that I think I think what makes this podcast work is I think that we both have a sense of fidelity to the truth and in offering a perspective on in even when it's just our opinion we want it to be based in fact in reasonable points and uh um I think that we both I agree with you very much on that town hall forum and and uh, as we discussed with Pat Kessler there was a lot of frustrations about it um but I think a lot of that uh, is on the Republican side and we'll see how that transforms but we'll get into more uh, national politics uh, uh, on future episodes. But let's let's discuss, let's break down the next subject, which is uh, nearing the end of the legislative session. Yeah. Nearing. We should put nearing, if you can see us right now, I'm putting nearing in quotations. Uh, take it away, Becky. So the actual end of the legislative legislative session, uh, May twenty second, which I have to say is a is a great date. It is my birthday. Um, I was always lucky when I worked at the Capitol that that was you know right up there. Uh, everybody came to the Capitol to celebrate my birthday. I used to say. Um, well, but- let me say first, happy. Let me be the first to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And uh, but that's good that the state recognizes that day in such with such formality and pomp and circumstance. Right. So right now, you know, as we're recording this, there's still conversations that we're going to get it done by the 18th or 19th. Uh, and and you know, last week we heard it was going to get done by the 12th. Um, you know, these are all self-imposed deadlines. They had their work has to be done on the 22nd to to you know not force a special session. Um, They've blown past their deadlines. I don't know why they came out and were like, oh, we might get done by the 12th. Oh, we might get done by the 18th. They just make themselves look bad, um, which we'll, we'll dovetail into here a little bit of of, of their failures. Um, but, I mean, you've, you've been around the block a time or two here. Why why did they do this? Why do they pretend they're going to get done early? It's just optimism, hope and optimism, but it's it's not a plan. Um, nobody wastes more time than the legislature. It's a hurry up and wait mindset. Um, and we're in that kind of crunch time right now. It's a failure to it's just uh, planning f- uh, accurately and precisely is something that's outside, I think, the scope of the legislative process. I think they've got the legislature has gotten far too comfortable with bypassing the regular session timeframe. It's becoming standard for there to be special sessions. Uh, the name the name special session implies that they're supposed to be special and not happening all the time, but unfortunately they happen all the time. It doesn't matter necessarily the composition of, of the legislature. They just happen on a regular basis. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of penalty or punishments that's given to legislators for not finishing their work on time. They still get paid. Um, they still get per diems and they still get to do all that type of stuff if their work doesn't get done on time. Um, the reality, though, what's what we've talked about, which is unique, not unique ever in the history of the state, but there is the DFL controls the House, the Senate and the governor's office. And so they control kind of the, the main branches of the legislative process in terms of you know the governor having an oversight role, but having the House and the Senate that should, in theory, make it easier for them to get their work done on time. But it appears as of the recording of this episode, which is, you know, Wednesday before, you know, we're recording this on a Wednesday um, for release on a Thursday. It's there's a good possibility that they don't get done on time. 
You know, I think we'll have to go back to some of our previous episodes when we had different legislators on. I think we we asked a lot of them about um, if they expect to to go to a special session. I think it was about 50-50. I think there were quite a few that that left that opportunity on the table. When we asked those questions, did you were you I was let me let me say it this way. I was surprised by some of the answers when I asked that question. I, I was answering it because I would not have thought that there would have been a special session. I would not have thought they would have gotten their work done. And so I thought the question was I wasn't it wasn't necessarily a gotcha question. But it certainly, I didn't think, had a good basis in a possibility because I just made an assumption, which was wrong of me, that they were going to get done on time. But are you surprised by where they're at right now? You know, I am. And I, you know, one of the Democrats that were on the panel with me on Friday night had mentioned that, you know, kind of blamed it on a procedural fact that there are, you know, are only so many revisers and revisions or and researchers that are helping, you know, write these laws. And so if they're tied up with one conference committee, they can't necessarily turn their attention to another one, um, which to me, I, I understand her statement or reasoning for saying that. But to me, doesn't this go back to what we've talked about time and time and time again about the speed of which this legislation is moving that if revisers and researchers are not able to keep up, if there's not enough staff to do this, you're going too fast. You are not, I mean, we saw, and let's let's go into this, I mean, the Dems in disarray, right? The DFL is truly, we're seeing all of these different situations where um, we saw uh, there was um, Ron Latz, who's the chair of a committee um, debating the Uber-Lyft um, legislation that is going on. He passed it out of committee with a quote saying, I don't get in the habit of passing bills that I don't believe are ready, but we're going to pass this to the House floor before I believe it's ready. Excuse me, that means your job is not done. That means that bill is not ready. We do not get to vote on that on the House or Senate floor if that's the case. I mean, it is just kind of shocking. We had another situation with the tax committee. Senator Ann Rest was chairing that committee called the committee hearing. The one House Republican that was on the committee, uh, Rep. David, showed up. None of the House Democrats that are on that committee showed up. She took votes. She knew that this was, I mean, she even had a quote of the day saying that we clearly have an insatiable appetite for tax increases, which can't wait for the ad surrounding that one. But you're not showing up for conference committee. You have Republicans dying to sit on these committees and do the work and be heard. I mean, it is truly blowing my mind to see uh, what the Democrats are doing there. It's it's complete malpractice, I think, of, of their jobs up at the Senate and the House. Um, and it is shocking to me that we are in this situation with everything was so honky dory, you know, a couple a couple days ago. So your so your birthday is Sunday, correct? Monday. Monday. So do they get done by your birthday? I don't think so. Okay. Because at some point. They're leaving this weekend. There's graduations this weekend. They said that they're not going to work on Saturday. And then I think that will change. I think there will be some work being done, but. And Speaker Horman is scheduled to be uh, uh, giving a speech or attending a reunion in Massachusetts at the Kennedy School of Government, I believe. Yeah. So there's some deadlines in there. I mean, this is what I will say. Having worked at legislature, I know we both have, um, is that it is a hurry up and wait mentality. There is, it's a legislative body that wastes time. It's not super efficient. Um, I think when we've had, when we had Representative Stevens on, there were a number of, we asked him about this and, and Representative Stevens was discussing a lot of the work that had been done. And what's inconsistent, I think, at the legislature is you have bursts of activity and then a huge amount of lulls. 
And there is, it's fair to say that there have been moments in this legislative session where I think there was a burst of work being done. And then there was a lull. And it's in that lull, it's in that time, in that, in that slow time is where time gets lost. And the reality, I go back to this point, which is Minnesotans, I don't believe, are in a position or, or know enough or are informed enough about the legislative process. I mean, no disrespect, but it just isn't, it isn't getting to them enough that they're missing deadlines. There hasn't been an electoral significance relayed to the voter either because you know voters aren't paying attention or, or or just they just don't there's apathy or a number of reasons why but there's not a history in Minnesota of legislators blowing their timeline spending more time to get their work done and that hurting them in the election process is that fair to say I think that's very fair to say and you and I live in a real world where we have to have deadlines and we have to get stuff done and legislature I think is in this kind of little bit of this cocoon where they they get away with this type of stuff, and we'll see as as the time of this recording. Um, I think we're as we said, we're both a little surprised that they're in this position. And when, when we have our episode next week, post birthday, uh, we will be able to have a discussion as to where we are in the legislative process and what's what's going else going on. Is there anything else that you want to tie into before we move on to our next subject about the legislative process? You want to get in? I got to do one quick rant because on Mother's Day. It came down that a provision that was previously in both the House version and the Senate version of the tax bill, an exemption for um, child care products, um, was removed. Something that uh, car seats, cribs, a, a variety of different things, um, didn't. while both chambers agreed on it, both chambers supported it, um, that exemption, which I believe accounts to something about $7 million, uh, which is pennies when they're spending the ridiculous month they're spending. Um, as a new mom who has the privilege of being, you know, a double income family, a new baby um, that spent a ridiculous amount of money on, on these things, I can say how much families are already spending. We talked to Benson about uh, child care costs last week. This is just absolutely insane that they could not find the space for this, that they had to remove it on Mother's Day. And I just want to say, read this quick comment from uh, House Tax Chair Ayesha Gomez that said, our tax bill is laser focused on making Minnesota the pl best place to raise children. We make targeted investments that reduce child poverty for low-income families. And there are other provisions that would have greater effect than the baby product exemption. Our bill maintains tax exemptions for diapers and formula and spends $800 million to cut child poverty by a quarter. We'll continue to work cooperatively, blah, blah, blah. Now, do I appreciate that there are, are working on child poverty? Absolutely. However, to me, this is I, I basically saying you're, you're lucky you're keeping these exemptions you get. Um, be appreciative of that and move on. Um, I think it is just really disappointing. I just saw as we've been tweeting this or what recording this, a tweet come up that they're re-discussing uh, raising the gas tax. These are taxes on everyday families across the across the state that matter. And they're doing, doing that, making us pay more every day to let them go on a shopping spree, a spending spree in situations that I believe, uh, maybe this is me wearing my Republican hat here, um, I believe makes Minnesotans dependent on them to continue spending. Sure, you are doing free lunches, but at the expense of making folks pay more at the store, 
Once again, Democrats are not allowing Republicans to spend our money how we see fit. They want to take more from us to spend it how they see fit, which I believe is really disappointing for a lot of families. And that's my rant of the day that I just had to go on. Um, I think it's a great it was a great rant. I wasn't going to do anything to interrupt. It was a great rant. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. I think a messaging point as we cap off this subject is when we get back next week of post birthday, if the legislative session is done. Uh, or it's not, I think we should be having more of a discussion on the tax increases. Because I think both of us, if we're putting on our Republican hats, are frustrated with the fact that with the size of the surplus that we have, and I do believe this was a point that was discussed on Almanac, that there's a discussion about tax increases. Even this this late-breaking development as we were recording about the governor talking about a potential gas tax increase. Um, the, the the amount of taxes that have been increased this legislative session um, like this when we have a surplus is just astounding. Sure is. But now, let's change the pace a little bit. Let's go into our wonderful takes on on soda. And I want to start here, if I may, by saying when when we were chatting about what what our topic was going to be for this, you said soda. Now, I also refer to it as soda. I would wonder if the majority of our listeners refer to it as soda or pop. I'm a soda. I'm a soda guy. I'm a soda gal. Yep. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I am preparing myself more than any subject. Now, a couple of things. Um, if there is one thing that I have a drinking problem with, is soda. I <laughs> love soda. I love sugar soda, and so this is this is a very passionate subject for me. I am preparing myself to be disappointed. Uh, you may I am, be. I am preparing myself to be disappointed. Um, we're also going to talk at some point about one of the other subjects that we were going to discuss, but I'm not getting it into it right now. Okay. One of the other food categories we were going to discuss that is worthy of its of much more time than I can give it right now. But right. in order to just prep me for the disappointment, I'm going to let you go first with your, your, and I, I think I know the answer, but let's go with it. It is by far and large. Diet Coke. It's not Diet Pepsi. It's not Diet Cola. If I go to a restaurant and I am looking for a soda, I say, "Do you have Coke or Pepsi?" They say Pepsi. I will have a water, please. Um, I do wow. not do Diet Pepsi. It is Diet Coke all the way. I have a shirt that says, "Drink Diet Coke and you know keep calm and drink Diet Coke." Um, we're we're a Diet Coke fam over here. Um, now I knew that Diet. You're such a Diet Coke fan that I just I wanted to preface and say. I was worried when we were doing this subject that all five would be Diet Coke. I did contemplate. I, I will say I, uh, although with my, um, you know, kind of working between the lines a little bit on the last few, I, I felt as though you would have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did come up with four others. That's great. Um, you'd be surprised to know, um, you may not be surprised to know, that I hate diet soda like I hate the Green Bay Packers. I think diet soda is terrible. Every aspect of diet soda. I, I, I can't imagine having a diet soda. It just drives me crazy. It makes me angry even thinking about it. Um, oh. It just makes me angry. So my number one soda is Coke. Cool. My number one is Coke, but Coke, caffeine-free Coca-Cola. Um, I'm a big fan of caffeine-free Coke. Number one, uh, if I, I could, I don't ever want to, there will never be a day 
that I don't have soda in my life. If soda, if they come out and make a determination that soda will trim years off your life, I'm going to go that way because <laughs> there's no way I can not have soda in my life. Now, how many how many are we talking a day? Oh, I'll maybe have uh, a couple a week, but I when I have them, I just I cherish them like okay. one of my kids. I have to have them. I, I just I, I need I, I can't imagine ever. I can't imagine the type of lifestyle changes that I would have to make in my life for me to have diet soda. I just feel like I'd be giving up. It's it's just terrible. Ugh, delicious. Yeah, I, I need to have the sugar. Nectar of the gods. Yes. Um. All right. Number two. You're going to be upset with me, but is Diet Dr. Pepper? I, I would do a regular Dr. Pepper, too. I, I would put both of them at number two, but if I'm going to have one, I, I do prefer the diet. It's just the sugar. I can't handle it. It's so sweet. Yeah, and if you, you we're not recording these on video yet, but we hope to in the future. You'd be seeing my face of disgust right now <laughs> with that answer. Um, you'd be surprised to know that I have no diet on mine. I didn't. I did not surprised. All right, I'm going 1919 root beer. Mm. Uh, it's in Minnesota. It's it's uh, bottled in Minnesota, made in Minnesota, New Alm. It is fantastic root beer. I love it. And uh, 1919. It, when I'm feeling kind of saucy, I'll get uh, it's, it's someone. Let me also say, big cans getting a 12 pack is not cheap. Um, sometimes they make these barrel ones. They're great at like graduation parties, uh, stuff like that. Um, I love 1919 root beer. It's the way to go. It's one of my favorite cakes. Um, my number three is an ode to a sugary uh, soda here. And in particular, um, back in my, you know, I, I don't ha have the privilege of having too many cocktails these days. Uh, but back in my day of having too many cocktails, ooh, an ice cold Mountain Dew in the morning. Mm, bring on that sugar, that caffeine. I like it. Straight Mountain Dew? Yeah. I'm proud of you. Yeah. That up for the first two. I don't I don't like the the Diet Mountain Dew taste to me. Just it, that's not the same. The other two are superior. This one I just can't cut it. Now, I'm going to uh, this is going to since I consider myself a soda pop connoisseur, um my list might be a little eclectic to a lot of people. But there's a soda called Cheerwine. It's a soda that's made in it's big in like the South North Carolina. Um there's been a huge and it's, it's a kind of cherry cola Cheerwine. Uh, you can get it at most specialty stores. You can get it at uh, most. I can get it at High V. I can get it at Lunds. I can get it. Uh, I don't think I can get it at Cub, but I, it's great. It's a cherry flavored soda. It's really big in like North and South Carolina. Um, it's just a fantastic soda. It's regional, somewhat regional, but with you know kind of the the rise of kind of getting you know the kind of sodas everywhere. Uh, it's a fantastic soda. I love it. Fantastic. You know, we're going to have to start um, reining things into things that people have actually heard of before. Um, it's on the internet. You can get it anywhere. You could get it today. Okay. All right. Uh, number four, I've got Fresca. So let me just say this to you. I knew Fresca would make your list. I knew. I didn't know when it was going to make it. But I, if I came up with my disappointment list, I knew Fresca would be on it. Fresca would be on it. I mean, seriously, you you made you took shots at me last week, and others did too for my for my Charleston chew. Uh, do they serve that in the nursing home where you go to? <laughs> Fresca is just delicious. I gotta. It's it's fantastic. It is good, but I knew it was going to be on your list. I knew that's the type of garbage soda that would be on your list. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Crush Orange Soda. 
Mm, I knew you were going to have an orange soda. I was thinking yeah. you were an icy guy, though. A crush orange soda. Right. I love good, good crush soda. Love it. It's if I'm, it's a Friday night and I've earned it. I'll have a crush soda. It's fantastic. It's good for you too. It's vitamin C. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, now rounding out my list, uh, I, I I did have a number five that I scratched. I was gonna say Mr. Pibb. I thought you were gonna give me a hard time that that's basically just cheap man's deck, Dr. Pepper, <laughs> delicious. So uh, I, I changed it and I'm going seven up. Wow. That's just not a seven up. Yeah. Okay. Syrupy than Sprite. Yeah. I like seven up with grenadine. Mm. Like Shirley Temple. Pretty cocktail. Yeah. You'd be surprised to know that I have grenadine in my, I have probably multiple bottles of grenadine in my house. What we're coming to realize from this is how much I use sugar and how much I'm addicted to it. That's oh. what I'm coming to the realization. Uh, my final soda. This is a game day soda. I generally like to have this on game days uh, when I'm watching the Vikings game. It's Sunday Purple. It's from made by the Northern Soda Company. It's in Minnesota-based company. Uh, and it's like a purple, um, it's like a grape kind of vanilla drink. It's fantastic. Um, you get it at um, where all your kind of specialty uh, sodas are sold. It's fantastic. Uh, Northern made soda. Uh, Northern Soda Company is a Minnesota-based company. They make a ton of great flavors. Um, but yeah, Sunday Purple is it. We're gonna have to send this out and try to get some like ad sponsors based on all your. Oh Minnesota. God, that would be great. Uh, I love sugar soda, and um, it's very. Um, my list, I think, reflects. I think a connoisseur of sodas. I think of all the subjects that we've discussed so far, that's made it through kind of the editorial process. This is the one where I have is the most passionate to me. This is the one that's most meaningful to me. And it's also the one where I knew you were going to disappoint me the most. Okay. And you succeeded. They're delicious. And you you succeeded, okay? Well, at least I have choices that people have heard of, so. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. So, well, uh, we'll see. We've gotten a lot of good reaction uh, to uh, the list discussion, and I'm sure this list will, uh, as if, if, if past is a prediction, you will face some online criticism for your selection, and I will be embraced as being thoughtful once again. Okay, we'll have to wait and see. Don't disappoint me, people. Give him a hard time. That's right. Um, now for... Tweet of the Week. Tweets of the Week. Um, I'm Am sorry. I going to cry? No, I, come on. We're, we're past that. Um, I'm only past that because you were peppered for a few weeks. <laughs> you Go may ahead. cry if you are a staffer for Senator Amy Klobuchar with this one. Um, my tweet this week is from at Climate Defiance. They said, breaking, we just made the pro- pro-oil Senator Amy Klobuchar flee the stage at her book launch party. Her book title, The Joy of Politics. Now, there is a video with this. Um, this is something we've we've seen a lot of, you know, we've talked about protesters infiltrating different events and and what they do here. Um, my favorite part in, in, I guess, poor choice, because you can't see this through the podcast, but if you look at the video, the look that Senator Klobuchar very clearly shoots one of her staff members as a WTF, how did you let this happen um, as her book launch is is ruined and she has to leave the stage was just uh, magnif- magnifico. <laughs> I will say I was, from a security standpoint, I was a little surprised about the access there. That's a subject yeah. that you and I have been consistent on that elected officials yeah. need better security. 
But yes, I I did see the same death stares. Yes. Um, my tweet of the week is from Amy Hockert, who's a uh, rep- uh, journalist at uh, in the Twin Cities here with Fox Nine. This is a Mother's Day tweet that I really identified with. Um, and she she wrote, she goes, the best advice my mom ever gave me when I was twelve when I was when I was twelve, and she bought me my first stick of deodorant. She and she read, she goes, if you can smell yourself, others can smell you. And I really identified with that tweet because I remember getting the same speech from my mom. Uh, I haven't been on social media that much uh, as as I still kind of convalesce and recover here. But that was just a great Mother's Day tweet that I, I absolutely loved. And it, it's the I, rem, I can distinctly remember when I was a kid getting brute deodorant and my mom getting it for me and, she and her saying something very similar. Look, mm-hmm. if you can smell yourself, others can smell you. So and there's just kind of this stinky age where teenage boys get into. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, so I just really identified with that tweet and uh, it was worthy of praise. Well, Becky, we made it another week. I want to thank you for being here and making time. Uh, this is multiple media appearances for you this in the last week. So I appreciate you spending time uh, back on the podcast here from your other TV appearances. I am so glad to be here. It's the joy and highlight of them every week. Well, wonderful. Well, we want to thank uh, everyone for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcom and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. That's bbbreakpod.com. We're also on Twitter at at bbbreakpod. That's at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky will return next week with another great episode. Becky, thank you again. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. All right. Bye.